Talk of the Devils is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favorite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets, along with instant match updates for all. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalized bets via the app, so you can bet on multiple scenarios and create your own bet with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favorite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly and please be gamble aware. Speak of the devil and Karl Anker will appear. Hello again, listener. Welcome back to Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. Don't forget you can subscribe to The Athletic to hear from this show and many more with a 40% discount right now using the promo code UNITEDPOD. Our show will be available for free via usual podcast providers and it will be available advertisement-free for Athletic subscribers. So, hello, welcome back. It's the, air quotes, winter break. Uh, welcome back to Talk of the Devils as usual. I'm joined here by Laurie Whitwell, the Athletic's Manchester United writer, fresh from Dubai. Laurie, how are you? Have you got a tan? Well, I don't tan at the best of times and we got about half an hour of sunshine when we we're over there because obviously we're working very, very hard. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm kind of a nice uh, red, slightly more red shade of, 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 of pink than I usually am. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, it was it's not a, not a bad gig to get, so I shan't complain. Okay. Uh, and as usual, with us, we have United We Stand editor and contributing writer to The Athletic, Andy Mitten. Andy, how are you getting on? All good. Enjoyed a weekend with no football. I'd done seven games in five days in the previous week. So I really enjoyed that break and spending time with my family. And I'm looking forward to the resumption of games and Manchester United charging up the league table. <laughs> a man can dream. A man can dream. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, as we have mentioned, it is the winter break, uh, and as such, we tend to get a bit more inventive with our ideas talking about football. On Talk of the Devils, we decided this week to take some time to pause and reflect on where United have gone as a club since Alex Ferguson's retirement, and to more or less evaluate every single manager who's been in charge since Ferguson. Gentlemen, let's do this in chronological order. Let's keep it fair. We're going to debate the good points and the bad points, and maybe, maybe, possibly get a good ranking in here. So. I name the manager, you tell me your thoughts. First thing here. David Moyes, the man behind 81 crosses in one game. <laughs> Laurie, I'm going to go to you first. How, how do you think we should rank David Moyes' tenureship of Manchester United? Yeah, I mean, I guess anyone taking over from Sir Alex Ferguson was going to have a difficult job. You know, he was he was a, a you know probably the greatest manager we've ever seen. So if David Moyes just picked up the baton and won the league again, maybe Ferguson wasn't that special after all. So um, yeah, difficult job. Obviously, he came in and wanted to make his uh, authority felt. Um, you know, he, he let go um, sort of three coaches that have been um, sort of quite you know key to Ferguson's way of operating in, in um, obviously Mike Field and Rennie Mullenstein and, and Eric Steele. I guess he's he, he'd entitled to do that as United manager, um, but I think that perhaps um, just you know took away a little bit of um, what United had become about um, in that period. Obviously, replaced them with, with his own guys, which again you know you, you'd want that as a manager, wouldn't you? But um, I guess that sort of set the scene a little bit for the. It was it was quite a, a, a more of a, a dramatic change than perhaps you'd have ideally liked with it just being Ferguson going. Um, you know, obviously started really well, didn't he, with the result at Swansea, but 
gradually um i suppose his gravitas you know was 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 questioned by the players and perhaps he said stuff that didn't quite uh, hit home in the same way as ferguson did and listen you you're always going to get players complaining about things when when results aren't going well but i don't know if he i think the job was props a bit too big for him and you, you hear about the stories from pre-season tour and and how much um work he had to do you know the media side of things and the attention on him i think came as a real surprise um you know i i accept that he'd been at everton before but it's a different scale of club at manchester united um so yeah, and then obviously it, when it went wrong, it, it kind of went wrong sort of fairly dramatically. Although you you think now and 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 think I wouldn't mind a, a Champions League quarter final. Um, obviously, as as he managed to reach against Bayern Munich, and um, you know in, in the current state of affairs, that would be quite a, a high watermark for for United. So um, yeah, I, I guess. <sighs> Was he ever the right man? You know, obviously, Sir Alex Ferguson saw something in him that he he felt um, cut from the same cloth in in a similar way. Um, you know, hard working. Um, he'd, he'd done obviously his his groundwork at Preston and Everton. Um, but I, I suppose the shift from what Ferguson was that that you know charisma that authority to, to David Moyes it, it was quite a, quite a stick of, quite a steep drop. And you were there. Um... Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, the current Manchester United manager, has talked about Harry Hindsight. Do you think we were perhaps too harsh on David Moyes or is that a ludicrous statement? United fans were used to winning the league season after season and expectations remained high. He had a very, very difficult job and he's a good coach and he's he's a good man, but he got swallowed up by the Manchester United machine. And as Laurie said, getting rid of those experienced coaches in Phelan Millerstein and Eric Steele, it, it, it probably wasn't the right thing to do. But I've asked him about this and he said, well, I take your point and the point which was made about getting rid of them. But in football, managers tend to take their own people. It happens at every single level in football. And that's all that David did. And he was let down by some players and other players, they performed for him. Other players needed moving on. I can remember two two months into that season and results were not that bad. Uh, did not Liverpool out the League Cup. And speaking to Moyes off the record, and he said, there is a massive, massive job to do here. And I was taken aback a little bit by that because I couldn't really see why there was a massive, massive job because, well, Ed Woodward had said, quote, this squad needs very little retooling when Sir Alex Ferguson stepped down. And David Moyes, as Laurie said, his messages, he wasn't great with the media. He looked nervous. He didn't look like he'd prepared what he was going to say. He was a bit tetchy. Uh, he, he was good with fans, um, but he, he would, was being judged by results all the time. And when it started to slip, it slipped really badly. That uh, The defeat at Olympiacos away was horrendous. It was as bad as the win at Leverkusen was good, and that was under Moyes. And then to lose those games against City, at Old Trafford and then Liverpool and then Everton, it was just slipping too quickly. And he lost too many of his players and they had stand-up rows and the players were fighting among themselves. There was loads of stuff which never came out in the media and that's probably a good thing. And there was a huge amount of tension and and he lost his job. And he would argue that uh, he deserved more time. And, had, uh, and he, he said, if I would have known I would have only got 10 months, then I would have done things differently. But I was told that I had six years. I got a message, a text message from him the day he was sacked saying, can you thank the United fans for the support and apologise that I've not been able to get the results that they used to or expected. And I put that out and 
the reaction was, oh, he's a good man, it's a shame. But there's also a lot of people saying he should never have been involved in Manchester United. But I don't recall loads of complaints when, when he came in. And then about three months after, I did his first interview, I went up to see him in Preston and he was quite nervous and he'd been approached about the Real Sociedad job. And he's got his arguments and he disagrees with the versions of events of several players. He, he said, we absolutely didn't train on a public park in Munich. And Real Ferdinand had, had criticised him for that. Munich was where probably the best 38 seconds of that season happened, as you referenced. Evra's goal, that was incredible. And Moy said, I just wanted not only the... the the game to end at that point, the whole season to end. That was it. That was me, <laughs> which I quite like. There's a good humour about him, but you stop seeing that because he was under so much pressure and it was hard to defend him because by the end of it, the results were just not good enough. I think what was really telling when you, you, you look back at the Moyes year that I have mostly erased from my brain <laughs> was uh, Moyes, when Moyes tells the story about how he found out he got the job, he used the description that all the colour drained out of his face. And it's this idea of the fact that Moyes didn't so much apply for the Manchester United managerial role as if he was just told he was the successor. And he was like, what? What? Uh, okay, i got to go. Gentlemen, we, you know, we've spoken quite a bit on this podcast about how Manchester United aren't the way they, they used to be and how there's a, a grand rebuild on our way. Do you think David Moyes had enough time? Do you think he was it was right to sack him when he did? Or do you think... Moyes perhaps should have been the person to lead this grand retooling and rebuilding of Manchester United. Mm, it's a good question, Carl. I mean, I, I think probably it slipped too much. And as Andy's alluded to, there were some really desperate performances. And once it turns to that degree, you've either got to get rid of all the players or, or get rid of the manager. Um, and I guess, you know, getting rid of the managers, even with a six-year contract, is, is the easier thing to do. And I, I think it, it does go back to that sense of personality as Manchester United manager you'd had this guy as Sir Alex Ferguson just absolutely owning the place and every time he appeared in front of the media he would you know say stuff that kind of the fans responded to and, and you know you really believed in him and you know the, I guess the players wanted to play for him with Moyes it, it, it drifted from that and I think United did need someone with with, with more with more gravitas really um, obviously he I think was let down by the structures in place um, you know so Alex Ferguson was so integral to uh, the recruitment. You know, he he could open doors. You know, have phone calls with, with people that, that nobody else really could, and therefore he'd he'd be able to get players. Um, you know, perhaps a better value or um, before anyone realised they were on the market. Um, so, so then when you've got him and Ed Woodward in their first summer together and, you know, have written a piece about this um, for The Athletic in, in how, you know, various different th- signings, you know, targets fell, fell by the wayside. There's different blame to be apportioned on, on either side, I think. Um, but, you know, what one, one story was told to me that Moyes in, in the final week of the, um, the, the transfer window was, was questioning whether you know, what he, what he was being told could be believed. He actually came up with a quote, I'm, I'm led to believe, you know, I don't 
don't know whether Edward Wood is a, is a clown or a genius for the names that he was proposing and whether or not he was going to get them over the line. So listen, maybe that's a, a harsh you know judge of, of of how it was, but clearly there was difficulties that he encountered that I think any manager would struggle with. Um, so, but then again, you know, ten months it clearly isn't enough time really to impose any kind of um, you know uh, ideas on on a team. You've, you've had two transfer windows and. I think you've got you know two players. It's not that's not your own team, is it really? So, um, but I think it had slipped too much for the for the for the squad to to think that he was the guy to lead them forward. Stitch Fix is an online personal styling service that takes the work out of dressing well. It's a fun and light touch. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk/slash/theathletic, fill in a style quiz, and tell Stitch Fix about your personal style and aesthetic, as long as budget, style, shape fit challenges, clothing needs, and wants. After that, a personal stylist will send you five items of clothing. What's next for you is you try on everything at home, style it with items in your wardrobe, then you buy what you love, and you send back the rest. It's low risk, and for your stylist's time, you pay a small styling charge of just £10, which is deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. So it's try before you buy at home, Delivery and returns are free both ways, and no subscription is necessary whatsoever. Uh, my favorite thing about Stitch Fix is it takes the hassle out of changing my seasonal wardrobes, so I'm never caught short. As someone who's constantly in football stadiums, sometimes I need jumpers, sometimes I need shirts, sometimes I need to fly off to uh, sunnier climbs in Europe and I need a t-shirt. Stitch Fix helps me stay one step ahead. Get started with Stitch Fix today and support our podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk slash The Athletic right now. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X dot co dot UK forward slash athletic. Andy, was it the right time to sack David Moyes? I'm agreeing with Laurie. I also think that a manager should get two years and call me old fashioned there. I think a manager needs time, but it was slipping badly. He was uh, let down at the start, that first transfer window was awful. He thought he was getting Tony Cruz. He thought he was getting Cesc Fabregas. He spoke to Cesc Fabregas. Cesc Fabregas wanted to join Manchester United, but wasn't going to force his way out of Barcelona. Barca's sporting side didn't want to sell him. The commercial side did want to sell him. And the end result was that come the final day of the transfer window, United hadn't signed any players. And they needed to sign players because it was an ageing squad. And then what you had, which would have gone against any coach, was Everybody saying, well, Sir Alex didn't used to do this. And it was almost impossible for Moyes because he had to change certain things. And he did have some good ideas on players' diet, for example. He brought young players through like Adnan Janazai, who initially worked, but not enough was working for him. And when the team started to fall out, not just the top four, but the top six, it just became too much of a problem. And it's a shame. But when he was sacked, I think a lot of fans felt that... um, one, he was sacked in a manner which wasn't befitting of Manchester United. And two, I don't recall any protest to have him reinstated. It just wasn't working out. It was a very, very strange appointment and even stranger removal. In, in some ways, it sort of kick-started the very modern trend of flying planes over football stadiums saying a manager should be sacked. But after Moyes came Ryan Giggs in a, in a short caretaker role. Gentlemen, I must admit, when I was watching this season by the time Giggs took over I was more or less tapped out I couldn't put myself through match a day anymore because it was so painful to watch Manchester United draw games let alone lose them how was Ryan Giggs's short spell as Kate Taker manager 
Yeah, um, it was kind of, I guess, it, it, nothing much really changed. You know, they obviously had a couple of wins and a, and a drawn a defeat. And um, I actually spoke to Giggs um, uh, ahead of his last Wales game um, for a piece on, on the, the fact that United had had this run of 4,000 games in a row where uh, a youth team player had been in the squad. And um, I sort of asked him about a couple of guys that he gave debuts to, Tom Lawrence and James Wilson. And I said, oh, is that was that? a part of your thinking at all and he went absolutely not you know um, we, we'd lost to Sunderland and, and the players weren't good enough and, and these guys have been impressing me in training so I thought you know, get get them in the team so clearly Giggs at that point was you know showing a ruthless side almost um, I guess you've got a bit more freedom when it, when you're the caretaker manager you've got four games left at the end of a season um, but but still I think that's quite a, a crucial element to have as a manager um, particularly when you've been a player so recently um, to sort of show that um, steeliness to, to make those kind of calls you know, let senior players out of the team and bring in younger younger guys. So um, I suppose it was always going to be an experiment, and, and clearly most people thought, you know, at the age that he was, having been a player so recently, that, um, that he couldn't really be actually a Manchester United manager. But it was a, an interesting sort of experiment, and obviously that then led into you know him being assistant to, to Louis Van Gaal. So I think it was worthwhile to to sort of see what he had at, at the end of that season. And he looked good in a suit, but did he bring anything tactically to Manchester United in, over those four games? Everyone was delighted for him when he became manager for a few days. And if he has any regrets, it's that he didn't pick his strongest team for those games. He wanted to be fair to people. He wanted to give people a chance. He'd not gelled well with David Moyes. So suddenly he's gone from being in the dressing room and not being the manager's biggest fan to being in charge of the team himself. Uh, some of the other players felt that he looked management material straight away. But they were probably relieved that David Moyes had, had been moved on. They'd all been asked for their opinions by Ed Woodward in a series of two or three meetings before Moyes was dismissed. And I don't think people expected Giggs to get given the job full-time uh, in 2014. And when he started hot-footing to, to Holland to, to meet uh, Louis van Gaal, I think there's a bit of excitement of him learning the ropes under Louis van Gaal and people went into the next season pretty optimistic that United were onto something. So yeah, it, it's weird, again, with our good friend Harry Hindsight, it's weird talking about the optimism about bringing in Lou Van Gaal as the Manchester United manager. At the time, you've got to remember, Van Gaal had just finished third place in the 2014 World Cup, taking that Netherlands side, basically, they tore Spain asunder. They had the fantastic high-five moment with Robert Van Persie and Lou Van Gaal. Manchester United fans were happy that they were getting a, a former Champions League winner, a, a Barcelona manager, and someone who'd won the Bundesliga with Bayern Munich. And also he had a, let's say, interesting personality. And yet it, it didn't really work. Laurie, what on earth was the Louis van Gaal years? Yeah, I, I think I'm getting more warm to them um, as the years go by since, since they happened because I remember the football was, was dire at some points. I mean, I remember being at a PSV Champions League game at home and it was nil-nil and it was just absolutely excruciating, the passes to the side, to the side. And obviously, you know, Wayne Rooney famously uh, told people that, you know, he had to take a touch before he could shoot. Um, you know, it was never, uh, you know, instant one-time hit. 
Um, but then I, I think back to um, the Leicester five three game that I was at, um, and United. Okay, they lost. It was it was glorious defeat, really. But it was kind of for that first half. It was it was thrilling. You know, it was Angel Di Maria, Falcao, Van Persie, Rooney, and, and Di Maria obviously scored that brilliant goal. And you kind of thought, wow, this is pretty kind of kaleidoscopic football. And I, I, I was I was really into it. Um, and then obviously Leicester came back. Vardy became the pest that we all know him to be. And um, and I think that probably made Van Gaal put the handbrake on a little bit and, and the kind of style of football perhaps became more conservative and, and, and cautionary to begin with. Um, he actually, we, we spoke to him when he was um, Holland manager before that World Cup because um, I was covering Wales at the time and we went over there and, and they were playing a friendly in Amsterdam in, in the June and he, he sort of, you know, invited us as English journalists, obviously we'd, we'd gone over to, to chat to him and, and he, he sort of obviously did his old, his Dutch stuff first and then did invite us all around and he was very, very charming and, and answered anything we wanted to, as long as it was to do with the match. So we had to kind of shoehorn United questions in, but obviously there was Van Persie and and there was, uh, there, there was again, Tom Lawrence playing for Wales. So we, we kind of tried to get a couple of lines out of him on that, but he was, um, it was very charming, but then he's also, um, as we, as I was talking about with Moyes, I think Van Gaal did have that presence presence um and he, he didn't accept journalist questions um you know as they were intended he challenged a lot of the time um you know there's been numerous clips of him um taking journalists to tasks for stupid questions and i think he actually he called one of my questions stupid i think it was after a derby game in a cup and i'd asked him about uh, this thing where he was, he'd said, I think that he uh, he had a glass of red wine with Ed Woodward or a bottle of red wine with Ed Woodward every time that he, or he got sent a bottle of red wine by Ed Woodward every time he beat a top six team. And I, I sort of asked him about this and said, oh, you know, will you be having a glass of red wine after after this game? And he sort of said, that's a stupid question. And um, which I'm kind of like, okay with, because I think sometimes, you know, we, we were trying to get a little bit of a news line, you know, just one of those really easy news stories that a bit of fun, you know, for, for back page maybe. And uh, he did like it and he told me so which I think is is fair enough when you're a manager you know you, you need to have that steeliness about you and, and not sort of um you know blend into the background so he was a very interesting character um I guess the style of football though again just it, it became too monotonous and, and too difficult to watch for, for what United wanted um I don't, although I, I do have sort of you know doubts about whether it was right to, to get rid of him when they did it was a wildly esoteric style of football Louis van Gaal played Ashley Young as a false nine. He once used Chris Smalling as an emergency striker. He sold Danny Welbeck and Raphael. And he also tried using Angel Di Maria as a striker. Andy, what what was going on at that time of spell? He, he updated the academy from what I understand, but was this uh, a manager not quite as good as what he wanted or just someone being a bit Emperor's New Clothes? The first preseason was wonderful in America. I think they beat Real Madrid 4-1. And I can remember one long-term United staffer going up to him and saying, Lewis, thanks for giving us our club back. And he said, thank you, thank you, but I've done nothing yet. And he hadn't done because he lost the first home game um, against Swansea when it's, it really started to matter. And and the 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 football for a long times was dreadful and other times was fantastic. I think he gave up on his attacking plans quite early on. He told people that he didn't think United had the level of players to implement his plans. He then embarked on a great talent purge and I don't think that United should have sold players so readily and, and so cheaply and so quickly. People like Raphael, who was a competent right-back, 
Johnny Evans is a good defender. I think he moved for four million pounds, and he's still a very good defender. And he's a United fan. He hadn't cost any money, and at the time, they were waved out the door by fans saying, "Great, he's getting rid of the dead wood." And these people were experienced title winners. Okay, they weren't Vidic's, they weren't Ferdinands, but his his football was was based on this passing game, and it just became extremely boring. There were wonderful moments. I think in the, the spring of 15, um, there was a spell of three or four games when it all looked like it was clicking. But even after, I can remember the first game of his second season, and even then there were United fans saying, this guy's got to go. And he'd been there for one year. He'd spent a lot of money. Di Maria was given a lot, a lot of... Um, space to be individual to dribble other players were told they weren't to dribble other players were told off and scolded after turning up for team meetings one minute late and you had you had serious experienced pros thinking i don't like this guy and leaving the club you know because they just didn't like him and he kept calling meetings and then he'd have a meeting about a meeting and a meeting before that to discuss the meeting which was going to be about the meeting and slowly the Ferguson's United continued to be eroded under Lou Van Hall. I liked him in the press conferences. I thought his imperfect English was often endearing. I loved it when he made references to things going on in Manchester. I knew one of his friends very well in Holland, and he told me loads of very interesting information about him, how he'd been to speak to some of the homeless people, but he didn't want it making public. I liked him talking about the restaurants in Manchester. But you're always going to be judged on on your results and they just weren't good enough in the end and Ryan Giggs who was his assistant began to suffer because he was sat there impotent because he couldn't go against his manager there were some great moments the away winner against West Ham in the cup when Rashford scored uh, was a fantastic night and he did win the FA Cup and it's shameful that Manchester United fans inside Wembley Stadium booed Louis van Gaal after winning the FA Cup this isn't the online fans which are often mocked. This is fans who travel down to London, hardcore fans, and thousands of them booed Louis van Gaal that day. And that wasn't fair. And nor was the way he found out that he'd lost his job um, at Wembley that day. So that was the second sacking in succession that Manchester United had got wrong. I think everyone would have loved it to work to have worked out for Van Gaal, but that football in the second season, it was absolutely painfully boring to watch. And there were some awful statistics coming out. People were sat at the scoreboard end saying, I've not seen a goal at this end from open play in seven months. Stuff like that. It was just ridiculous. It just wasn't Manchester United. And I think he had a good shot of it, but it was the right thing to get rid of him. It was weird, but there's a weird part of me that kind of wants to see what it would have looked like if they had given him an extra season. However, after Van Gaal came one of Van Gaal's students, Jose Mourinho. The so-called, I'm not going to call him it. No, I'm not even going to call him that. That's how much I thought about that tenureship. Jose Mourinho became Manchester United manager next. What? Well, that was that was hectic, wasn't it? Laurie, help me make sense of these these two and a bit seasons of Mr. Mourinho. Yeah, I mean, the Mourinho thing clearly was a response to Pep, you know, showing up uh, on the other side of town. Um, United 
uh, Woodward, I guess, wanted uh, a manager there that you know could go toe to toe with Pep, could win the title, and clearly had done so with Chelsea um, not long ago. Albeit it had then ended in absolute disaster. Um, and I was actually at the, the the Leicester game where he called his Chelsea players, um, where he accused his Chelsea players of betrayal, which was you know pretty explosive grenade um, to launch into it all. And, and I suppose when a manager's done that with a club that he clearly had um, strong attachment to, you, you kind of know what you're probably going to get when he comes to a club uh, like United, where he'd clearly been pining for this job for a long time. There's obviously the famous stories about him um, you know, being extremely distressed when he thought he was going to get the job when Ferguson left and, and he obviously didn't. Um, so here was his chance. And um, I just think he, he was always... Whilst he won silverware, he was always going to be a manager for the for the instant fix for the for the hit that would then you know leave a serious come down, um, which obviously we, we're sort of still you know getting through for all the criticism you might want to make of of, of anything that Solskjaer's doing. But I, I think the players that he bought were obviously very much for the here and now. Um, you know, they 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 were ready to go and a lot of the players that he proposed were you know beyond even you know the years that you might think you'd get a few you know good seasons out of um and and okay that obviously might work for the for the immediate you know um the Europa League was a a, a very good win you know a great piece of silverware to get um the League Cup um I was at that game as a fan in the stands and um you know really though Southampton should have won shouldn't they you know it was a it was a it was a victory sort of you know ground out rather than anything else but I guess that's what they thought you know they would get with Mourinho and maybe it would work um for the title you know it looked like at one stage it might happen right you know when they kept sort of beating teams you know by four goals in the end but they were often when they'd got the first goal sat back and then the other team had kind of had to go for it and, and they sort of picked them off it was it kind of was a, a style of football that didn't necessarily thrill or, or, or engage um and, uh, and and you could sense stuff was going wrong. It, it, it was way before um, it, it really hit the buffers, which was obviously um, the summer uh, of 2018. And um, I was at a Leic- the Leicester game again when they drew to two and Harry Maguire scored that late equaliser. And um, it was 23rd of December, and we were trying to get a line about on bo- for, for the Boxing Day's paper. So you sort of ask questions in advance, you know, uh, and you know you write it up, and then it's it's on Boxing Day. And he, he'd made Pogba captain. I asked him a question about Pogba, could you see Pogba as a long term successor, and he kind of took real issue with it. Um, maybe it's me, you know, if I'm getting managers taking issue with my questions, maybe it's something I'm doing. But it it, it he sort of was wondering why I was asking that kind of question, and it should be about it should be about the match that I was asking it, and he kind of you know walked off in a little bit of a huff. But um, but I guess that's that to me looking back in hindsight that sim- that that signified the fact that he wasn't quite comfortable with making Pogba captain. I know he then did do sort of the next season, but it was a clearly a, a kind of olive branch to a situation that had, had disintegrated, and um, so it, you, you could tell that he he obviously has his ways of doing things, and and if the players don't subscribe to it, he is not afraid to you know get. Uh, to 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 increase the agitation and, and to really push things to try and provoke and, and I guess I think in this area you, you kind of need to be a little bit more nuanced than that. Um, I, I mean, for, I was you know told that the first thing, one of the first things that he did at Spurs um, since taking over was basically tell the defenders you do not play out, you just you you kick it, you you give it to the guys upfield who can play you know better than you, and it sounds a bit like Brian Clough really give it to the guys that can play, but very much kick it long and and, and we've seen that borne out with the 
statistics that you know they are they are going long and, and that's obviously one it's a fine way of, of playing football you know if, if you can win um certainly but uh I, again it never really quite matched with what united were about and um and listen, he gave us some great moments, didn't he? But I think ultimately it never quite felt um, the, the right guy at the right time. Andy, Mourinho finished second place in the Premier League, which is United's highest ever finish post-Ferguson. He won the Europa League. He won the League Cup. I'm not going to count the Community Shield. That doesn't count. He had the most amount of transfer windows to build a squad post-Ferguson, and he was the longest manager post-Ferguson. Do you think fans were unkind and needed even more time to build his vision, or do you think it was just a bad fit? Well, I wanted Ryan Giggs to get the job, and I wrote that because it became clear in '16 that Louis van Gaal was going to be moved on. And my opinion was an extremely unpopular one, even among my own contributors to United We Stand. Giggs' approval ratings were about 7%. Uh, the idea of Josie Mourinho coming in was welcomed by about 85%. But I felt United should go for gigs. He knew the club well. The players respected him. He was going to continue looking at youth, which Louis van Gaal had discarded. People say that he gave players debuts. He did do, but only because he had to because of injuries. But I can understand why United went for Mourinho. He was a guarantor almost of success. United knew that Guardiola was going to City long before it was made public. And I think United would have gone for Guardiola had to give been given half a chance, but they were told no, he's going to City. And then 2016-17 started Mourinho against Guardiola. I was excited about it. The season started well, and then City came to Old Trafford. I've never seen a Manchester derby receive so much global attention as that game in September 16. City won. The gap was opened, and it never really closed. But that Europa League in Stockholm, the run to that was fantastic. Mourinho was a tactical genius that we pulled that off against a very young, talented Ajax team. It was great playing places like St Etienne, going to Vigo and playing really well and winning away in the semi-final. He won the League Cup. Brilliant game of football that League Cup final uh, at Wembley. And Mourinho counted the charity shield as well. He said he'd won, he won the treble. Great to see him in Stockholm dancing around on the pitch with his son jumping on him and flooring him and sort of after the United team, dancing with crutches. And it felt that the team were really onto something. And then it started to continue to build. So I remember the next season in the December, going to Arsenal, winning, playing really well. And I thought, this is, this is now by a distance the best post-Ferguson United team. And then City popped the bubble again. They won at Old Trafford, uh, the game where Marcus Rojo had a bad injury. And United, although they finished second, they were never really in the, the title race. And that fed into a horrible pre-season in 2018. And I was, I was covering that pre-season tour in America. And Mourinho, who'd given us a really good interview for United We Stand. And he, he, there's a side to him which is really personable. And he had loads of good stories about him doing things away from the media spotlight, which cut a completely different image to his public one. He went to Switzerland, for example, and saw a young United fan who was dying. And he didn't need to do stuff like that. And when it came to that 18, I was watching him in press conferences in America and thinking, this guy, I don't want him managing the team I support. He's just cutting the most miserable 
bigger everywhere. And when he came out with that quote in Michigan after that defeat against Liverpool, saying, I wouldn't pay money to watch this team, I thought, even if you're thinking that, don't say it. Don't say it publicly because it's really disrespectful to the 50,000 Manchester United fans who have paid money to watch this team pre-season. And by the end of it, he, he admitted that he should have lost his job. But throughout 2018, he lost support. It was never an overnight thing. It was always in percentage points. It was going out to Sevilla and playing really badly, not having a shot on goal in the first 150 minutes of the tie. Uh, it was the way that that season finished, 17-18 season finished. The end, that game at West Ham was one of the worst games of football. Someone should take them two teams to court and get the money back. That nil-nil in the April. And there was a defeat at Brighton, which was horrendous. And then when it started slipping in 1819, there was an, a home draw against Crystal Palace, which was awful. And by the end of it, he'd lost the support. You can, you can, if you've got the majority, you can survive. But when you go below a threshold, and he did, by the December, he sat on the bench in Valencia. He looked like he didn't want to be there. And the club didn't want him there. The players had given up on him as well. The players were not happy with him. And United got rid of him and brought in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And look what's happened next. Andy, you've just said, you brought us to the present day. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is the permanent manager of Manchester United. That was not the plan. I remember very clearly waking up on, on a late December in 2018 and being told Jose Mourinho had been fired and that the plan was to bring in a temporary manager and then in the summer bring in a permanent manager along with, ding, 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 a director of football. What happened was, of course, Oli came in. They won on a fantastic winning streak. They beat PSG. And then after that, it became more or less a done deal. And now we have you know, the hero of 99 being the, ma the permanent manager of Manchester United. Gentlemen, I'm going to bring up Harry Hindsight again. I mean, is, is Harry Hindsight going to be on Gunnar Solskjaer's greatest ever contribution to M Manchester United since becoming a manager? Laurie, what do you think? Uh, yes, yeah, it might be a, it might become a bit of a meme for him, might it, with Solskjaer, um, the old Harry one. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I can see what United are, are trying to do with him. It clearly wasn't, you know, a, a preconceived plan. Um, it's, it's kind of evolved. Um, I, I, I think. More time um, is required. You know, you've got a guy there that obviously knows the club and, and really cares for the club. So, um, and, and as we've said, we've we've seen managers that have been much um, more experienced than him, much more um, garlanded than him, uh, fail. So, um, you know, I, I just needs a bit more time to breathe and to have his own ideas on what the play, what the team will be. You know, if he's had four signings, that's not, not a bad ratio. I, I, I accept Ogala will be a, a short term thing. Let's see what we can do in the summer. I appreciate that the end to this season is crucial. It can't tail off. Um, it needs to have some oomph behind it. Um, and I guess, you know, the, the Chelsea game on Monday is, is, a, is a real big chance for him to prove that he has got, you know, the knack in those big games. You know, a victory there would, would sort of revitalise that top four, you know, run um, as perhaps as, as hopeful as it might be. But obviously they've, they've done it before. Um, that's, you know, this season, albeit with that, with Marcus Rashford in the side. So, um, so yeah, I think it's quite a crucial one um, on Monday. Andy, it seemed as if this was a done deal after Paris. Do you think that was the right decision to make I did him the Paris. manager? I absolutely did after Paris and I tweeted it and it's there in black and white and I wasn't alone and I cannot recall anybody complaining 
that he'd been appointed manager. And hindsight has made people say that he was appointed too soon, and, and maybe he was. But that run-up to Paris was fantastic. He was exactly what the club needed. He made the, the t- players smile. Uh, Mourinho's relationship with players like Paul Pogba had become fractured and complicated and not not productive. And Oli gave confidence back to the players. They were scoring goals, they were winning matches. And just as quickly as it had been, it'd been great, it quickly turned very badly. The end to the season was as bad as it had been under Mourinho and under Van Gaal. And as Laurie said, there cannot be a repeat of that. There really cannot be. There's not enough credit of support in the bank for Ole Gunnar from Manchester United fans who've been very supportive of him, who accept that they've got to be patient, that he's doing this rebuild, that he's bringing young players through, that he's putting more time into the signings rather than just going for the the big names that maybe are guided towards a club by by agents. And fans don't expect a league title at the moment, but they don't expect to be as far off the top of the league or even the chasing pack as Manchester United are. They've won nine out of 25 league games. Nowhere near good enough. Cup form has been better. Um, the run to the semi-final against City in the League Cup, the FA Cup's been decent, the Europa League's been decent as well, but there's got to be minimum standards. And his squad looks too light, and he's partly culpable for that. I've been supportive of him. I'll continue to support him. But he's got to be getting wins. There's got to be more evidence of different styles of football, which are going to make Manchester United a winning team. Again, I think he's a decent person. He knows the club well. I think he brings advantages, which Jose Mourinho did, did, did not bring. But look, we're talking today when United are 8th and 7th in the league. That's just not good enough. And... He's got to finish this season in a much stronger manner than he finished last season. Because if he doesn't, then the tide will start turning against Oli Gunnar. And I've not been a fan of replacing managers all the time. I do think he deserves time. I think it's a huge summer for recruitment for him to strengthen the squad, which clearly needs strengthening. He's been unlucky with injuries, uh, but he needs a trophy. If he can win the Europa League this year or the FA Cup, that would give a massive lift to the confidence of the club and point towards a brighter future. And that elusive title challenge, which has been lacking since 2013. It's not that they've not been winning. They've not even been challenging for the league title. And this is Manchester United, one of the three biggest clubs in the world. They should be challenging and they should be winning league titles. Going through every single manager, is there the belief that this malaise or or the post-Ferguson slump is greater than whoever is in terms of the manager and perhaps... This is just a, a, a wider spread rot. Laurie, your thoughts? Yeah, no, it's definitely wider than just the managers. Um, you know, there's obviously structural issues there. Um, and, you know, personally, I've made my feelings clear on the need for a director of football, sporting director to be in place just to be able to get the edge on certain transfers and, and you know, um, making sure that the recruitment is absolutely as slick as it can possibly be. Um so yeah, I think ultimately that's what it comes down to, and, and then you look at the ownership and, and the Glazers. You know, do they really have the uh, drive to uh, make United that successful team again? Uh, I don't know. You know, um, it's been a long time. So um, yeah, it, it goes beyond the managers. And I think whilst that the, the, each one can be criticised for, for various decisions and and, um, and results and what have you, um, ultimately it's a, it's a wider thing than that. Andy, you've spoken there about how. So Oli needs to win a trophy and how there's this, he needs something to solidify himself with. Since Ferguson's left, Manchester United have won an FA Cup, they've won a Europa League, they've won a League Cup. 
They've won every major trophy there is, apart from a league or the Champions League since Ferguson left. Are United fans okay? <laughs> yes, yeah, someone, a Wimbledon fan put this to me today. He said, where's the big problem here? You're basically not quite as good as you were. And there's other clubs who are really struggling. But it, it is Manchester United. They've spent, their, their wage bill is the second highest in world football. They've been underachieving. And it isn't just the manager's fault. Ed Woodward has sat at the top as, as, as being the leading executive at the club since 2013. Has he done a good job in, t- in terms of the football recruitment side, which he ultimately oversees? No, you, you can't say he has. He's got to take some of the blame as well. The Glazer family will never be popular among Manchester United fans because of the way that controversial, highly leveraged takeover was allowed to happen in 2015. And it's actually much harder for Manchester United now because in the days of yore when it was Arsenal and United, there was no Chelsea under Abramovich for a long time. There was no Manchester City backed by the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Abu Dhabi. Leicester City are incredibly powerful now as well. Liverpool have done it well. Liverpool have done it really, really well because they haven't been bankrolled. Of course, they've got money. They're the second biggest team in England. But these all make it even more complicated and harder for Manchester United to win. But United have been underachieving. They've, they've bought badly. They've bought players like Alexis Sanchez, who were welcomed by fans, world-class player in theory. And yet he was one of many who became worse. Why is this happening? Why are great players coming to United and becoming worse? They're not getting better. They're becoming worse. And this feeds into the whole negative cloud that hangs over the club. Um, which we've seen a lot of this season with mystifying results where they beat Spurs, they beat City away, and then they lose against Watford, who won one in 17. They lose at home to Burnley. And in isolation, these defeats are stomachable. But when it's a trend, then it becomes really worrying. Just look at the league table. I go back to the point. Nine wins in 25 games. It is not good enough. Solskjaer, if he's going to stay, he needs support. He needs to be bringing the players that he wants to, to bring in so that it can become his team, then judge him properly on that. But given the players he's already got, uh, he's got to be doing better than, than he has been doing. He needs time, he needs support, but he's got to improve as well. That's the past and that's going on to the future. Laurie, Manchester United playing Chelsea next. First things to the first, is Igalo going to make his debut? Um, I'd probably be surprised at that. Um, I mean, he's uh, obviously come from China, not played um, for a few months. I know he's been putting his working in the uh, Taekwondo gym in, in Manchester, um, updating us all with uh, very sweaty uh, Instagram stories. But um, I would be surprised if he if he if he features. I mean, listen, maybe the match goes you know badly and he comes off the bench. Um, he is obviously travelling with the team. Um, Solskjaer has made that clear. Um, and listen, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe Solskjaer decides actually have him on the bench. There's a bit of a wild card. You never know what he could do. Um, he's clearly got Premier League experience, so he would offer something different in attack. And I suppose winning the match is all important. Um, so, yeah, maybe he makes his debut. Um, I think, ultimately, Solskjaer might go a slightly different way um, to begin with, at least. Andy, you are the most tenured Manchester United fan on this podcast. Tell us, is Stamford Bridge a good place for United to go to? In no, it's history? absolutely horrific. It's the worst place by a distance. And yet, what's happened the last two times United have been there? They've won. No way was I expecting it in the FA Cup last season or the League Cup uh, this season. Chelsea are six points 
ahead of Manchester United. If they win on Monday, that's nine points. That's a big gap. That's a really, really big gap with only 12 games of the season left. United have got to avoid defeat against Chelsea if they're going to have any realistic ambition of making the top four. They do not look like a top four team all season. But if they lose at Chelsea, it's going to be really, really difficult. And it's a place where they're expected to lose. I want to pick your brains right now. Match predictions, gentlemen? I think maybe Chelsea edge this one 1-0. Andy? When Laurie sounds exasperated, I can understand why. They're impossible to predict this Manchester United team, which makes it more exciting and more gripping because you don't have a clue. All right, I'm going to say United to win 1-0, but would it be surprised if they lost 3-1? No, I wouldn't at all. 1-0, Igalo coming off the bench, scoring, header, 79th minute. There you go. There you are. You heard it here first. Right, I think that's all it for another episode of Talk of the Devils. Gentlemen, listeners, thank you all for coming. Uh, Laurie, thank you so much for giving us your insight into Manchester United and I hope you're not too sunburnt from your visit to Dubai No I'm good thank you Carl thank you for concern <laughs> and Andy it's always a pleasure talking to you and giving us the, the, the wider perspective on everything going on at Manchester United as well Cheers Carl Cheers Laurie Don't forget listener you can subscribe to The Athletic right now to hear this show and many more by using a 40% discount code UNITEDPOD for your Athletic subscription Our show will also be available for free via the usual podcast providers Other than that Thank you very much for listening to Talk of the Devils, a Manchester United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We'll be back next week.